Hello, my name is Philip Eriksson. And my name is Anne-Sophie Monjo. And you are listening to... The Sound Architect Podcast. But I'm in charge of the nail now. Okay, okay. Just be careful. This is so satisfying! Hello, and welcome to the Sound Architect Podcast. I am your host, Sam Hughes, and today I am very excited. As you just heard, I am joined by Philip Erickson and Anne-Sophie Monjean of Hazelight, who are going to be talking to me today about It Takes Two. Hello, how's it going? It's going really well, thank you. It's good. It's all good. Excellent. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me today. So I don't even know where to start, but before we dive into the game itself, um, would you mind just briefly introducing yourselves and what your role was on the game? Yeah. So uh, my role is uh, lead sound designer. So I am uh, taking care of um, most things and have uh, quite a lot of responsibility when it comes to the audio work, uh, everything including VO, music and sound effects at Hazelight. Having a lot of discussions with uh, different leads and planning the project, but also making sound effects and helping out on VO and music as well. And my role was a senior sound designer. So that means that my workload is dedicated pretty much 100% to sound effects making and implementation. Uh, and uh, yeah, of course, with the help and support of the rest of the team who all have uh, their specialties in the team, we have a technical sound designer, an audio programmer, a VO designer, and even two composers. So it's really teamwork. So, um, so yeah. It Takes Two has been a lot about teamwork from the start. And it takes more than two, right? How big was that team? So uh, we actually started out uh, with uh, pretty much just uh, me and Gustav Grefberg, the one of the composers. And um, that was about uh, two years ago. And we started basically building up the team from that. So uh, quickly we we hired uh, Joachim, our um, technical sound designer, and Anne-Sophie joined as well. And uh, then we have just kind of grown and grown and grown. So uh, right now we are six people in the team at Hazelight. But uh, during the production, we had another contractor, sound designer, uh, Anders Nilsson. Uh, and we also worked with an external composer, Christopher Eng. And um, we uh, also worked together with a studio in Stockholm called Red Pipe on uh, cutscenes mostly. Nice. So... First of all, I have to say I'm very jealous because it looks like it must have been so much fun, especially from a sound design perspective. It's a complete playground, right? Definitely. Uh, from the beginning, when we got like pitched the game, when we uh, joined on the project on the Hazelight team, we were thinking, wow, this is really a sound designer's dream project. It's scary because there's a lot to do. There's a lot of variety uh, and we wished we had more time, but uh, the end, in the end, it turned out pretty good. And like, so in the beginning, like we were super excited uh, about all these prospects and all these uh, cool sounds that we were going to make. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's funny how you say you wish you had more time. It's the classic, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Always. I mean, we managed to get it out the door, but we were really like constantly under time pressure with this entire project. But it's also been a lot of fun, you know. Uh, stress can also be, you know, in some sort of way good sometimes to just like throw yourself out there and make these sounds and, and get the tasks done. Definitely. And uh, when you say like there was so much variety, that was one of the first things that hit me really when playing the game. Like the initial thought was like, oh my God, there's so much. I'm so jealous. And then I was like, 
oh my God, there's so much. (laughs) That must have been so much work as well. Um, What did you know about the game when you first started? Because you were on it right from the start, Philip, right? So were you literally from step one? Uh, I started about, I think it was like six months after the rest of the team had actually started. Uh, So uh, when I came in, uh, coming from DICE and... uh, Kind of a, a slightly different company, very big, of course, very planned in all kinds of... Uh, very different style of games going on there as well. Yeah, definitely. And with that huge legacy from all the other games, I came to Hazelight with like, you know, starting from scratch, basically. No audio engine, uh, no nothing, no real like knowledge about even wise or unreal or anything like that. So it was uh, pretty crazy in the beginning. And I remember actually like uh, having uh, one of these like uh, show and tell or kind of, you know, we looked at the game in the state that it was at that time uh, together with a lot of other people at Hazelight. And I just like sat there having the cold sweat in the sofa. <laughs> no pressure, buddy. This is all on you. <laughs> oh my God. It was so much stuff. And also uh, Joseph Farris, creative director and also the founder and owner of Hazelight. He doesn't like repetition much. <laughs> you can see that pretty quickly. And uh, so, yeah, he was just talking about like, oh, we could add this and we could add that. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> the this sweat like... just pouring. <laughs> like, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, some parts of this game, like you play things for like maybe five or 15 minutes or something. If you're like at least like kind of just following the main path of the game. And you could actually use that feature or that... Um, ability for like an entire level or perhaps even an entire game if you would like to but it's uh yeah a lot of variation so to get back to like where we started was like gathering the team and finding like planning everything and also finding what tool we would use to uh, to basically integrate our sound with was a, a big task but then when Anne-Sophie joined that was basically when we started the sound production So we took a really small part of the game, uh, a pretty linear part as well, and just like kind of sat down and started making the sounds. And we didn't really have like much direction or I didn't have. Uh, We basically like sort of shaped it together. I felt like we had another understanding, even like without talking to each other, we had an understanding of what we wanted to do with the game and with the sound. And of course, that was like um, developed during the process and also with talking to one another and finding sounds and so on. But yeah, we basically did that small part and I felt at least personally that that we kind of nailed the like playful style and the variety and the sort of scale very quickly actually. And uh, I remember also showing this to to our creative director and he was like are you sure you can keep this like, you know, <laughs> level of quality up for the rest of the game? And we were like kind of shaking and being unsure, but we were like, yes, we can do that. <laughs> so one of the things that we've done like through the entire production and with like the Hazelight audio team is like we have very high goals. And even though we've been under time pressure, we are like some of us are kind of like quite junior. Some of us uh, have worked on different things and uh, also like new to the studio and to, you know, all the tools and everything. We still set like incredibly high goals for ourselves. And I'm really proud of that um, to be on, on such a team. Yeah, and it must have been a phenomenal amount to even plan and lay out. Where do you even begin? I mean, did you 
when did you have the idea of how big the game was going to be and how many areas and levels there were going to be? Was it quite early on or did you kind of have to keep scoping up every time a new level came in? I would say that it was constantly kind of changing a little bit, but uh, it was actually like, I was very impressed about that as well with Hazelight. When I came in, uh, so the rest of the game team, they had worked on it for like about six months and uh, they were very good at like kind of blocking out the levels. So you were kind of able to see at least like, okay, you know, like this level will be ish this big. It will include these things. There were a lot of things actually already like not so far from like, I wouldn't say finished, but you could see what it was yeah, and uh, understand how it was going to go down. So uh, planning was uh, basically a constant thing that I did throughout the entire project. But very quickly, we, we also sat down with the rest of the audio team and um, we worked very much like level per level, even sub-level per sub-level, because some of the sub-levels are like, you know, one and a half hours long if you play it like quite fast you could probably spend like two hours in them uh, but that was kind of our approach um do you have anything to add there as well on that yeah you mentioned the level per level like this idea of vertical slice it's a kind of game that has so much content that you can't just you know look at the hole and say oh, i'm gonna add a sound here and a sound there and hope for the best kind of thing like we had to rely on good planning and that's what we did we that's you know what philip explained we divided it per level and we knew uh, with that um, you know process how much time we had basically to dedicate to all these different sections of the game so we took it you know one day at a time one week at a time one level at the time and went from there and I think that turned out pretty well because we, we were we had some sort of margin to adjust there if there was content was added or or removed even and, and things like that. I felt like also uh, one of the things like we had to be quite uh, strict with like how much time we spent on each sound and each feature and so on so like we started with basically like that small section of the game. And then uh, straight after that, we went on to create or have our own like vertical slice. Uh, and uh, the rest of the game team, they didn't care about that pretty much at all. They just kept on going. But it felt like we needed to kind of prove to ourselves that we had the tech that we needed, that the sounds were high quality enough and that we had all the different components and everything. So we actually worked for like two months on that vertical slice. And whilst we were making sound, me and Anne-Sophie, um, the technical team that was basically just uh, uh, Joachim, our technical sound designer, he basically had to learn like how to code during this time <laughs> and create our like ambience system, reverb system, all of these things uh, at the same time. So when we sort of finished that vertical slice, we had like the, at least the key pillars of what we needed in terms of like tech. And, uh, and we also had music and sound effects. We had Foley. We had like all the things so that we could already start like testing out, mixing, uh, using Wise in the way that we wanted to do, build all the structures and everything. So it was like really crucial, I think, that we did that and took that time to, to prove to ourselves that we could do this. 
And then after that, we, we basically went on to another level that had different abilities, different functionality, and, you know, like different gameplay. It's almost a different game per level, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then we, of course, saw that, like, oh, shit, like, you know, we need to add this, 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 this. <laughs> uh, but it, uh, it made it, like, uh, kind of tangible because we just did it for, like, a small section at a time. And uh, we actually kept on working like that for the rest of the project. We never like uh, separated the audio team uh, in like, okay, I'm Sophie, you are the specialist of like that, and I am the specialist of this. We worked as a group, and uh, I think that was a really good decision. And it's one of the like uh, things that we have brought up after the project as well. That many people liked that in the audio team. We really stayed like a like a family, like a force team, you know, like nice. a strike team. And uh, especially since we were so new as well and hadn't worked with each other. At all it was uh, really good to like you know socially get to learn who you are as a person what you're good at and all of these things so as Anne sophie said uh, with like the collaboration and the teamwork uh, that really like kind of inspired and and uh, made it work really well yeah nice and i have so many questions about all the levels and everything but i can't go any further without mentioning the biggest kind of question which must have introduced so many different thought processes and challenges which is the fact that it's split screen of course (laughs) (laughs) the elephant in the room yes right like we have to talk about this because you you did keep the quality bar up um it was really really nice you towed the line very well between quality along with that kind of comedic fun style but the split screen thing all the time i'm thinking right i have to find out how they handled this because (laughs) how do you handle it because you have two people playing who can be in two different parts of the level completely how did you even begin to tackle that as soon as uh, i started at hazelight and and i knew that we were gonna do a split screen game of course it was like that was another stress you know like how the hell do we figure this out Uh, but i had a few ideas just like very very simple uh, i feel like in the beginning at least like just to so if uh, if one player is in like you know one environment having like one quad ambience playing and the other uh, uh, character is in another room we would basically like kind of split the five one mix at least and basically lower like the two channels that are on on the right side if you're the left player uh, and uh, and vice versa so we could kind of wish uh, wanted to kind of blend between them a little bit and just like do uh, uh, like volume automation basically if you're in two different spaces but that was like just the first first step so when we started with that like you know i I thought that uh, split screen was going to be like kind of easy in some sort of way. But (laughs) every time we had a new idea about like, oh, let's do this. This will work really well. And I have figured out like all the issues that this could cause, but I have solved all of them. And then the first thing someone says is like, yeah, but have you thought about that? And it's like, oh, no, we haven't. (laughs) That was like the constant kind of... And so it begins. Yeah, exactly. The constant (laughs) process with like split screen. But uh, we really, uh, in couch co-op, when you play in the same room on the same like screen, the game is is very often played in a vertical split uh, visually. So... 
So we basically split the 5.1 mix in two halves. And then we let the left side of the mix and the left character's perspective also bleed over a little bit to the right so that we still get like a stereo because we didn't, of course, want to start making a, a game in like two mono mixes, basically. Other things that we did as well was like we, we had the reverbs and we panned those reverbs a little bit to a different side as well. We have some uh, real-time or a runtime, I should say, uh, delay systems. And then the left character has like a little bit of the center and the right speaker and then like the left and the rear uh, left speaker. So like kind of just, uh, you know, putting these sounds in these different halves worked pretty well. And was something that we did with basically like all the sounds, you could say. Uh, we also actually did way less spatialization than you usually do in a single player game, uh, which is of course super beautiful and we would have loved to do that, but it just didn't really work. Like the immersion was harmed by too much uh, spatialization. Um, so uh, most of the like player abilities and also like potential vehicles or things that they interact with we basically just like put them in one position and like choose where they should go at all times we had a uh, basically a parameter that we could control. So we do one type of panning or one positioning in uh, in speakers and one in headphones, because if we would start panning things too hard in headphones, it basically just made you like flip over on your chair. <laughs> uh, so, so that was like one of the things at least. But we, in general, we did kind of the same thing, but just like slightly less in headphones. On top of that, we can add that uh, our sound design itself, you know, we had to consider that, okay, if we sound design everything, is if everything is audible at all times, it's just going to be really messy. Yeah. So there's some choices that we had to, to do there. And um, I think that, you know, our goal was always, you know, okay, let's make sure that everything is clear and clean and we know we know what's important at what time i think uh with that kind of direction it worked out pretty well but not only for clarity but in the end when i play the game i feel like sound has become very useful to guide the player's attention both players attention to whatever you know the gameplay tells us uh, is important like you know there's this huge explosion and it's like i don't care if you know it happens on the left side of the screen and you're the right player perhaps it's interesting for you too you know so through those you know sound design strategies of like really emphasizing on what we believe is the most important thing we say hey look at that don't care about the rest and uh, and it kind of becomes a clear mix through that it's been really helpful yeah I would say that uh, like our mixes, uh, sense of success, like quite drastic when it comes to like change. Uh, like mm. you go from room to room or like a small section to small section, and the soundscape and uh, and the sort of sound story really like progresses quite fast and um, and quite uh, abruptly in some cases as well, which kind of tickles me in a in a nice way because it it makes it like a little bit more like cinematic in a way, like. You know, a trailer sound mix is like one thing at a time, but a really cool like uh, sort of sequence of different sounds instead of having a little bit of everything 
all the time. So uh, I remember when when me and Anne-Sophie were mixing the game, we were like sometimes battling a little bit like what is important at the right moment. But we were both like in the end, like really quite drastic when it came like, okay, you know, screw that sound. Like <laughs> this is, you know, what is cool at the moment. And I think that uh, that works also quite well with that playful style in some sort of way with, because we don't have to make everything like so realistic in a way. Yeah, exactly. The style is very Pixar-ish, right? It's very Toy Story slash Wally kind of um, approach in terms of the the fun factor, but also the kind of aesthetic of the whole thing. Yeah, it must have been. I, I got to talk about the recording sessions, right? I've got to <laughs> because I've seen the video. Of course, man. Yeah. I've seen that the the video you did with Jen, like the one on one. It looked like so much fun, and not just because Philip takes his pants off, but <laughs> which, <laughs> which is going to give everyone enough reason to go and watch it now, anyway. Obvious. So it's, but there's so much, especially when I mentioned there's whips going on. But there's uh, there's so much in that video that looked so much fun. Like there was the underwater recordings, there was the the whip recordings, the the kind of boom roarers. The you made your own kazoo's. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. tell me more about this. We knew when we played the tree level and the wasp nest level uh, that we were going to need like a whole lot of buzzing and wing flaps and like just that, you know, library sounds were not going to cut it, you know. Uh, yeah. We had to come up with like our own material, our own source material and a lot of it and varied content and of different sizes and, and textures and, and whatnot because there are many sort of variations on those wasp enemies and swarms and such. So, um, so we were like, okay, let's take the full day, you know, and, and, and record anything that you can sort of flap in front of a microphone and, uh, or, you know, make a buzz sound with. So we, um, built a bull roarer. So, uh, you know, with like two planks of wood and uh, I think we added a bit of paper somewhere in the middle and you strap that, uh, at the end of a rope and you swing it as fast as you can. And it makes like fluttery kind of, uh, buzz sounds. So we used that. Uh, we used also, yeah, the homemade casus. I looked it up online and I was like, uh, okay, how, how do you make it? <laughs> I can't go buy a casu now. And also it's going to be more interesting if it's a little bit homemade. So how do I do it? And, you know, look it up. It's like super easy with popsicle sticks and some paper and some rubber bands. And uh, then you get a few different kinds of buzzing and you just blow that into a microphone. And it works pretty well. Yeah, it sounded better than an actual kazoo, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I really like, seriously, I went to the like office uh, kitchen and I just, you know, grabbed whatever I could find. So if you even put a little bit of time and effort into it, I'm sure you can make some pretty damn cool kazoos, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I love sound design for that when all your colleagues are just looking at you and they're like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best to share these videos with people at work as well. They love it. And it's so fun to share, you know, the, the crazy stuff that we do as sound designers. It's and also to like, you know, not be so pretentious about it. Just like, you know, this is what we do. Like, it looks absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a fun opportunity to uh, uh, discover new interests. Like when we did the whip recordings, uh, Philip got a little bit excited. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we, he went and bought like the longest whip he could possibly find online. <laughs> I had I had real issue like trying to crack it, you know. Uh, and then not only that, but he was like, mm, that's not quite enough now i need to actually make my own whip from scratch so he did some research and oh, he wow. built the whip even uh, gave it a name <laughs> yeah 
the, the white dragon. You're very attached to this whip, Philip. Oh, yeah, I am. It's really nice, actually. And it's super simple. It's like a bit of tape, a bit of rope, uh, a few like kind of... Um, I don't know what the what they are called, but like small chains with like some Beads. weights, mm. yeah, and uh, and it works like a charm. It really cracks well. So uh, nice for all of you who need like you know some stuff to do IRs or whatever, just build your own. Yeah, I was gonna say it's great for the IRs. Yeah, definitely. Just look out because they are like uh, classified as knives when you go outside with them. So what? Yeah, so you can't really like have them anywhere. They're classified as knives. Yeah. They go under the same kind of law. I hardly think it's just as quick, you know. To <laughs> no, not really. I don't think so. And the range. But it hurts like, I don't know what, when you hit yourself. Oof, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes me back to being a kitchen porter back in the days and when the chefs used to kind of like have the wet tea towels. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it's like a thousand times worse. <laughs> so there was also the classic, of course, some slime. Can't go without some slime. I think every sound designer wants some slime in their repertoire. Yeah, of oh, course. Yeah. That must have been fun. And what, what was your highlight out of all of these little fun nuggets of sound design and recordings? The wasp session is really uh, was really fun. Yeah, it was, really fun. it was a lot of fun. Just to add one thing to that one as well was like, uh, so uh, Joseph again, uh, he um, had bought this uh, massage gun or yeah. like pistol. It's like a vibrator kind of apparatus, but quite violently, uh, <laughs> not used for pleasure. <laughs> uh, and uh, and we we just like kind of realized that oh, that one was just lying about in the studio because uh, people used it to like you know get their stiff necks to to be loosened up again and uh, so we just took that one and it had three intensities uh, with like speed as well and we just started like vibrating on some plastic and we realized like this is really cool it just made this like really <laughs> low frequency nice so we basically recorded like you know a handful of different like kinds of plastic and paper and whatnot and vibrated with these three different intensities. And that is like one of the main elements for these wasp wings uh, in the game. And it was so easy for me to just make these sounds because I just basically made like 10 second loops with different intensities. So when they are idling, it's the lowest. Medium is when they are flying and then high when they are attacking. Amazing. So it can be quite simple sometimes, but it took us a whole day before we found that massage gun and, and basically started with that. But it's uh, then I layered it with all these other kazoos and all the flapping and everything that we did. But but the sort of fundamental thing is is that um, that massage gun. Mm. And then we use our voices a whole lot as well. <laughs> yeah. At least I did. Um... Perhaps you remember the evil baking doll. I think we called it the toy crusher in the dungeon section. This uh, <laughs> sort of crushing after the players when they're running. Uh, and like she has this evil laugh and that's that's me. <laughs> ah, nice. So you're the one with the most evil laugh in the yeah. company. That must be yeah, what it is. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, like the flying uh, sort of animal under the tree, um, kind of whale looking and it's definitely whale sounding. That's also mostly my voice <laughs> and uh, even the little uh, the little fuse once when you start the game and the uh, in the shed in the very beginning and you have to run around like uh, looking for fuses because uh, yeah, it's like the tutorial part of the game yeah and uh, those little fuses are like they're taunting you and like uh, and like this kind of little sound and that's also my <laughs> voice so it's in the in plenty of places 
Yeah, I also recorded my voice for a few things, uh, some uh, like un- quite unconventional things, but also I made the voice for this creature after this baking doll that is just like some sort of toy that is uh, chasing you, just some growls and <laughs> stuff. Nice. That was quite quite fun. One of my favorite was definitely the underwater recording session. It was like just, you know, one day of fun stuff. And uh, and we also got to borrow uh, uh, two uh, aqua, aquarian, I can't Aquarian, remember. yeah, aquarian yeah. Uh, hydrophones. Yeah, from uh, Pole Position uh, production. And uh, they sound so good. Uh, so that one was really cool. And uh, basically the whole water level is just like made from our own underwater recordings. Amazing. So that felt like uh, also like kind of similar with the Wasp recording, like a really good investment, if you say, in time. Like we took uh, some time to record these things, but then it really pays off because you can basically get to work straight away and and you have the right source uh, that you need. So so I feel like, uh, yeah, we did some smart, uh, smart recording sessions. And then uh, we ran around in Stockholm and just uh, recorded all kinds of uh, IRs as well, whipping about. And uh, even though they are considered like <laughs> the same... Scaring the locals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the thing is that I recorded quite a lot uh, around in, in Stockholm. And uh, sometimes people look at you like very weird, uh, especially when recording some like VLF. I don't know if you know what that is, oh, but wow. I built my own uh, hula hoop microphone. It's basically a very low frequency like uh, antenna and i sat with that one in the tube people looked like really weird uh, <laughs> you have to be brave to be a sound designer sometimes you know like <laughs> yeah you, you do but when me and Sophie went out with the whip people were like really impressed and they liked it i was like a little bit afraid that they would be annoyed at us for making these loud sounds, but but they were like actually just wow oh are you whipping so <laughs> that was kind of you know a different uh, getting an audience yeah exactly so so that was also fun yeah and there's something to be said so I mean obviously sound libraries are very important sometimes and very very useful um, but there's a different sort of feeling when you've got when you've captured your own source Definitely. right it kind of feels not only more personal but you you have what you want um, and there's just a different feeling of satisfaction afterwards right when it's in the game and you hear it and you're like you know what I remember that day and I remember getting all this stuff Absolutely. and putting it in it's just a whole other level. You're so yeah. right. Like, and it, it, you know that it's going to sound like no other game because it's your own sound and no one else has it. And it's uh, that's what makes it so beautiful, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's also like you can really perform it for like how you want it to sound or what kind of movement and stuff. Like uh, sound libraries are excellent. I would never like work without them. Uh, but uh, when you're uh, performing for like a loop, for example, I feel like uh, some loops that you find are like loopable sounds basically uh, in your sound libraries. They might be quite static and like you know, not so interesting, but but uh, when you perform it yourself, you can really get that variation in and the life in the loop, uh, which is needed for it not to sound dull. Yeah, exactly. Now, in terms of uh, going to switch focus now to the dialogue, so there's, there's quite a lot of dialogue in the game as well. So that must have taken quite a lot of planning and like sorting out with the voice actors, because you have your own in-house mocap studio, correct? Yeah. Yeah, we do. 
Yeah. So how had, how was that process, like getting the actors in, but also miking them up during that? And then did you, I assume you had to get them back for all the in-game instances as well? Yeah. So uh, it was mostly taken care of by our VO designer, Greg Stankevich, uh, who's excellent. And he, as you said, had a lot to do. <laughs> uh, that's for sure. Uh, so, but he did an excellent job. So he was very involved in in both the mock-up sessions where we recorded the cutscenes, and um, uh, also uh, uh, with the recording sessions that we did at side uh, for their in-game uh, voices. But uh, also another thing that kind of makes it all uh, more complex is that uh, uh, the same actor who plays uh, Cody actually plays Hakim as well. Oh, wow. So uh, that meant that we had to do a lot of ADR as well for uh, for the cutscenes. So we couldn't basically just like do one recording and then be, you know, we had all the VO that we needed. We also had to always get uh, Hakim's voice added on top of the actual acting in the scene. Uh, so that was a big task. And also to make the Hakim character, um, you know, come to life and feel like, you know, the acting of the voice and the body actually fits like one thing. Uh, he, of course, had to spend a lot of time, um, like micro adjusting things here and there. And uh, which I think uh, he did a really good job at. But it, of course, takes time and feeling and, you know, iterations and so on. So it was a, a big job. But uh, yeah, we worked uh, with side. So unfortunately, we weren't able to actually go to UK to record with our actors so often since yeah. uh, COVID-19 happened. Uh, so that was uh, quite a, a big risk for us as well. It was like, oh, like, will we be able to ship? Because we might not be able to record. I can imagine, yeah. Uh, but uh, in the end, we managed. So I would say that uh, the biggest hit that we in the audio team took uh, with uh, COVID was actually this uh, delay in like uh, recording sessions with the actors but uh, we managed in the end but it uh, it needed a few really long days and hard hours in the end but uh, but yeah so he basically took care of that I helped him out uh, a little bit with uh, more like uh, VO mixing and uh, also some uh, traditional dialogue editing but we also got some help uh, from Red Pipe when it came to the cutscene dialogue so they actually mixed those and and uh, took that uh, off our plates and uh, then uh, me and him we also worked uh, quite closely on the VO processing for the different bosses and some characters and so on uh, which was uh, a lot of fun actually we had some fun times in the studio making those processing chains and so on yeah I can imagine because as great as the kind of natural dialogue is the the big bosses and things must have been so much fun yeah especially since they are also like kind of playful so you could really uh, like if you're playing with like a, a younger person and you're like a parent or, a, or an older person uh, we could actually like sort of hint to some classics or, or some fun stuff that you would recognize but not your your companion who might be younger and just see the fun of it uh, so that's was something that we tried to do and we weren't really afraid of, of doing those things. Uh, I would also like to say that uh, like one of the coolest things with the VO is actually the writing and the acting. Like we had really talented actors uh, that made it very playful and humorous. Uh, and uh, Greg was very involved in the in the writing as well, and like was able to to tweak it to the gameplay scenarios and uh, and to the game. So that really like made not only like well recorded VO and it plays in the right place, but they actually say the right thing 
and uh, that of course makes a huge difference so so that was uh, cool Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's a good thing that you highlight about saying the right things at the right time. A big shout out to voice designers out there as well, VO designers, because it's a, it's a role that doesn't often come up on the show, I have to admit. And it's a, kind of an undersung role, I believe. Yeah, unfortunately it is. But it's still, as you say, like uh, one of the key pillars of like information in the game, story, like how you emotionally connect to the characters or to the game. Or uh, So it's uh, it's super important. And also, yeah, like one of the key pillars of just like, you know, sound coming out of the speakers that need to be well mixed and uh, and well recorded to not bring you out of the immersion or not fit with the rest of the sounds or the music. So it's, it's definitely important to give it some love, basically. Yeah, definitely. And uh, speaking of the music, that's a whole other thing I wanted to dive into you as well, because you were working with uh, Christopher, wasn't it? Yeah. From uh, Elias Software. Yeah. Um, and so did you use Elias when implementing the music? No, we did uh, not actually. We basically worked with him as uh, a composer uh, mm. only. Uh, so uh, so we, we used uh, Wise's uh, music system uh, for this game. And uh, uh, it was uh, also like uh, neither me or Anne-Sophie like, made any music, but we did most of the sort of finalizing mix with the music and so on. And again, we worked very much as a group. So uh, when we had these, uh, we called them sprints, when we basically took like one part of the game and, and uh, built it up, it was very important to us that, uh, that both Christopher and Gustav uh, were in the room. We had uh, spotting sessions together so that we could talk uh, genre and the direction and instrumentation and where music was going to be important and where sound was going to be important. And then we collaborated with them uh, a lot. Gustav was like kind of the specialist in like the puzzle music and uh, Christopher took care of, of some of the other sort of big chunks of the music. But they still worked really closely, shared sounds and and even like, you know, melodies or small little things like all the time and uh, also added things to their their individual music piece. So it was like, you know... Christopher needed some, I don't know, arpeggios from Gustav, and Gustav needed some drums from Christopher. So it was a lot of like uh, juggling around with like different uh, music and and just getting it to the right uh, uh, end result. So it sounds like you were both quite involved with the music side as well then. So it wasn't, you know, sometimes you can just get the music kind of thrown over from the composers and then you put it in the game, but it sounds like you had quite a nice back and forth and got to be quite involved in the usage of the music. Yeah, for sure. I would say so. Even though we didn't like sort of practically have anything to do with it in in like the composing way, we were still very involved. Uh, That's also another thing that I think uh, worked really well with these sprints was that... uh, we usually worked for like six weeks on one uh, one level or one section that we decided, and uh, during that time, it was really hard for Gustav and Christopher because they had to write basically completely new music every time. But we, in the end, we had sound effects like ambiences, we had some uh, abilities, we had music, we had all the components so that we could actually sort of premix every section of the game after that and we could also like iterate on the music like really quickly because we realized something in the mix and so on so that was a really fun process and uh, and valuable to us 
And what about the implementation side? You've said you've used Wise. Um, first of all, was there a, a kind of main reason that you chose Wise over the native Unreal stuff and, and kind of went that way rather than kind of design your own stuff within Unreal? Yeah, so during A Way Out, the Gustav and, uh, and Mons and Lovisa, uh, amongst some other people who um, shipped that game or made the sound for that game, they used uh, Unreal. But uh, we saw some uh, limitations with it. And uh, also Anne-Sophie and uh, Joachim, they are like specialists, uh, at least according to me. I, I was like, you know, I have never used WISE before. I've used like Frostbite and I came to Hazelight and I had no idea what WISE was. <laughs> I had just heard about it. Uh, so they basically like taught me WISE. And uh, both of them were like, you know, we we will use WISE. Like they knew that it was going to be really good. Um, so I, I basically trusted them. And I feel like, you know, you can make really nice sound in WISE, basically. Yeah. So it's a good tool. <laughs> and, uh, and so I can imagine that you brought a lot of your kind of like WISE history with you in terms of the, the implementation side of this. Oh, definitely. But I want to I wanna still uh, go back onto the sort of teamwork theme of this <laughs> of this uh, podcast because it's like uh, yes absolutely we all brought in our set of like skill sets and expertise and I had worked with Wise before uh, so of course that helped us to sort of get started and like break the ice with it a little bit but I mean Philip has been like super autonomous with learning as well and taking it even uh, further you know you know due to the split screen and our, the needs of our game there there were so many things that you know I never needed to explore before so so I think it's been something that we did as a team to to dive into wise as a tool and in unreal uh, and that combination of, of, of technical solutions and how we could make that serve us as best as possible so um so yeah, for me, I mean, I, I of course uh, had some uh, instincts and, and reflexes with WISE, but that was really just a, a basis. And then we went from there and like took it uh, way further and uh, shaped it to our needs. Yeah, but I still feel like um, something that uh, Anne-Sophie and, and Joachim had, uh, at least uh, in the beginning, was like this, you know, they were so like fluent in like wise, so they they could just do stuff. <laughs> Whilst I was like the wise whisperers. Yeah, I was bashing my head against uh, the table and just like, Sophie, why doesn't this work? And uh, <laughs> I'm also like not always the easiest person to to work with, to be honest. And I have very sort of set ideas of like structure and how things should work. Sometimes we joke about uh, my brain that it's like a single core processor. It can't can't do more than that, <laughs> which is probably quite true, uh, to be honest. But uh, so <clears throat> I remember like one of the first things that I started with in WISE was to set up the um, bus structure and some other structures because I felt like uh, that was something that was like so important to me that I could feel fluent in like the ways that we used wise at least that that it was really just like you know straightforward like oh this sound okay I will mix it here okay that so um it was also very good to me to actually sit and be a little bit frustrated because it made the, made me learn it a lot faster as well. But uh, so now I also feel a little bit more fluent. But but I think they still have uh, expertise knowledge mm -hmm. in it. And what would you say was one of your I want to say proudest moments? But in terms of the implementation, what was the kind of thing that you were like? Do you know what we nailed it there? That's pretty awesome. 
I think uh, I have two things that I think about. Like many things are really cool actually, but uh, the music level, the last level in the game uh, with the Maze uh, singing ability is uh, one of the coolest moments I think. And uh, which was also again like collaboration between sound effects, music and the technical stuff and uh, all of us basically. Uh, but uh, and that was uh, to to start with that actually like I was that was the last level that we also worked on um, before we kind of had like a little bit of time to do a second pass um, and start mixing. But uh, we had kind of uh, left that one because we knew that it was going to be really difficult. But we still, I at least felt like you know this is our time to shine with like the music and the sound effects. But it made me really nervous because it was like how do we solve this like in a nice way you know it's like it's so complex and did it come from your team or did it come from another department it came from another department it was uh, basically like um, you know from the start like joseph's idea of the game always had a music level in it nice. so we we knew about it from the start uh, of course like the you know some of the the uh, mechanics might have been iterated upon a little bit and and sure. uh, all the parts but uh, but it was there from the start really so so we always knew about it but uh, i think that First of all, I actually think that we made it really nice. I'm super proud of what we managed to do. Yeah, I'm trying to talk to you about this and avoiding complete spoilers here at the same time. So we're just kind of vaguing to the yeah. audience here. <laughs> just, yeah. like, just make sure you play it to the final level. Definitely. So. <laughs> and uh, and it was like really important that it became musical as well. And uh, mm. we started like really, really complex. Uh, me and Joachim, we actually started uh, singing and like prototyping this uh, uh, feature uh, together and... Uh, we wanted to make a sampler, like we wanted to sample a singer and have like, you know, all the variety and complexity and uh, oh, wow. and have the, the voice being like a synth, basically, that we could control. So we started doing this, uh, but we quickly realized like with some Excel sheet work that it was going to be like, you know, up to like 5,000 assets because of course we needed variations and all of that. And we had actually like talked to Christopher and, uh, and Gustav as well and, and said that, okay, for this level, you can only use one key. You can use it in major and minor, but you can use only one key so that we at yeah. least locked down that. But it became so much like... Having uh, three variations of start, three variations of loops, three variations of release, and also glissandos between each and every note in the scale, like both up and down. Yeah, my mind's already boggling at the the sheer amount. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's madness. And then also we wanted to because they have like kind of different genres. We wanted the uh, like kind of rock level to have more like yay, and the uh, classic <laughs> level to be oh. So different uh, actual like kind of genres within the sampler as well. But then instead we built this like quite simple. Uh, we just play a singing track with the rest of the music. And since our game is quite linear, we always go into like a, a new music trigger, a new music track playing. So we never get the repetition really. Um, and built a really fancy like volume slider instead where it's like it fades up 
as soon as you press the button, but then we take care of the fading out part because that was a little bit ugly from the start. It was like, if you have too many like short notes and like kind of fading out in that, it became very obvious that this is actually mm. like something looping in the background. But uh, Joachim made this system where we just like, we have a MIDI track uh, where Gustav and, and Christopher could make a melody for the singer to perform. And also then we just parse those MIDI notes and make uh, markers. And then I could even actually uh, go into those markers and decide that like, okay, these markers you cannot stop, but on that marker you can stop. So I could, we basically did this uh, like automated step, but then we could also go in and, and change those numbers a little bit. So, and we actually did. And then, yeah, it works really nice actually. And uh, And we also recorded a dubbed track so that when May is actually affecting something in the environment, we fade in a little bit of that dub to make it like sound even more sort of magical and nice. Uh, nice. The singer, Sonia, Christopher's wife, uh, she could perform uh, really well. And I, I must say she did it like... I'm, I feel so emotional always when I see the last part of the game uh, and with her singing, it's my cries up here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I can say that uh, one of the things I'm most proud in terms of like, yeah, sounds and implementation is all the worldizing aspect of the game. Uh, and again, that's really been teamwork. Like it's a lot of uh, Philip's vision in terms of how it should be, as much like uh, the sort of ambient system and how to manage those, you know, ambient zone and stuff, uh, up to uh, the runtime delay reflections, to you know the reverb and the convolution reverb that we use, and how all that should work. And then uh, Joachim and our technical designers have like sort of made that happen, made that work, and me. As a designer, uh, of course, you know, contribute to for input and stuff, but use those system, use those system to basically bring that world to life. And the result of it is like, you know, with the whip that we recorded for our impulse responses that, that we designed uh, and created ourselves and, and used for, you know, for creating unique environments in the game. Uh, plus, yeah, those, those delay reflections, I think, really bring the world to life. And, you know, in combination with... Uh, all the ambiences are really like my baby in this game. Like I really enjoy the really crafting those, like how the world is supposed to sound kind of. So just standing in a space, like I mentioned earlier about like choosing which sounds to include and not making everything sound. That means like, you know, it's not busy, like in terms of sound, in terms of soundscape. And, and that's deliberate because we don't want it to be busy. We don't want it to be chaotic or, or messy or confusing. So that means that the sounds that are there, they need to contribute to make the whole world come to life and that happens through like worldizing them and make them sound like they really come from that place and i think we did a pretty damn good job at that actually mm. Yeah, that was also something that uh, we sort of quickly realized with uh, Joseph's vision, because uh, he actually didn't give us much direction either it was more like he actually trusted our intuition and and uh, our ability to create this game so uh, he never really like spoke to us except for saying that things were good which was super <laughs> nice i was actually quite uh, 
worried about that in the beginning like oh shit like will he you know sit behind me and like basically tell me what to do all the time but uh, he's super fun to work with uh, and he also likes when it feels like immersive in some sort of way and and it felt like he really wanted that sort of grounded style still with like all the fun things but still ground it and feel it like you're you're in the picture in some sort of way and uh, that also like was something that we wanted to do so it was very nice to be on the same frequency with him I mean, it's similar to if you watch a Pixar movie, like the latest Pixar movies, they have absolutely beautiful, you know, ambiences and world sounds and you believe it, you really believe it. And of course, on top of that, they have that playfulness of the animated style. So it was a bit of a a goal there to to go for that same kind of atmosphere. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go as far as like you you did kind of capture that kind of quality bar, in my opinion, because the subtleties in the ambiences and the foley and, and everything, it's the, it's the believable thing, right? It, it's believability that we're going for because it's not realistic because obviously it's not realistic. <laughs> but the believability of the world that you created and the same with Pixar movies, it's like those small moments really kind of sell it and really hammer it. Yeah, on. that's awesome. One thing actually that I could add as well was like, <clears throat> you know, you, you could maybe think that UI sounds and uh, some of these other like kind of uh, non-diegetic elements, um, we tried doing the more like synth style, but it also felt like it didn't really glue with the rest uh, in a way. Mm. So uh, You wanted something more tactile. Yeah, exactly. And like, even though it might sound like you would have created with a synth, uh, it was still like it had some sort of like it wasn't you know just sort of layer on top of the other sounds. They went a little bit further into the mix in some sort of way. Uh, so so yeah, everything is like very tactile and uh, a little bit of like ground and and dirt under the fingernails. <laughs> yes, definitely. Now speaking of the mix, um, you know you touched on it again in this Genlake video that you weren't really sitting in the sweet spot because two of you had to play at the same time, right? So that must have been fun and also very interesting to try and mix with two people playing. Yeah, definitely. Super fun. I mean, when you've been working on this game for nearly two years and uh, you've played it over and over again, uh, but at the end, you know, you're mixing it and everything is in there and you sit there, two of you, and you still, you still laugh while playing, you know, you still have fun and you yeah. enjoy it. That, I think that says a lot. Have to remember you're working. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> no, but that, that makes the process uh, really fun and, uh, and also really um, dynamic. And uh, again, it's that teamwork, right? It's not one of us sitting there making those decisions. It's the two of us playing, saying, does that feel right? Should this be louder? Should this be quieter? Yes or no. You know, it's it's always a discussion and in the best possible way. Like it's really, uh, it becomes like basically just two pairs of ears instead of one. And that makes it more reliable, I think. Yeah. And also it's one of those things that's more common in cinema as well, right? To have multiple people in the mixing stage. Yeah. yeah. So it's not as common in games, but it's done even more so in films and kind of makes sense for games, right? Because you're both experiencing, you're both playing, or even one of you playing would still sort of make sense to me. Yeah. You know, that you have that collaborative mix going on. So it must have been great to be kind of like, hmm, I'm not sure about this. What about you? You know, uh, actually, I kind of like it. Or it's not important right now, really, I guess, you know, and have all these discussions, which must have made it more of a kind of rewarding process alongside it. Definitely. And uh, I feel like uh, uh, one of the things that you mentioned was like, you know, when you're not like 
100% sure. Like, is it too loud or is it too low or is this nice or is this nice? Yeah. Uh, we could really like just ask each other and uh, I trust uh, Anne-Sophie's ears 110% and uh, I hope she trusts mine, but maybe more of around 90%, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the 10% went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, we wanted to create also like this very, as we said before, like kind of drastic and impactful mix, but um, I maybe sometimes take it to like 60 dB, while Anne-Sophie would have taken it to 3. So it was kind of good that... Then we decided, like, okay, four is enough. (laughs) (laughs) Compromise. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So I think it was, uh, as you say, like, really fun. And also, I know that it made the mix better that we both sat there. And uh, I really would have liked also to to involve the rest of the team uh, more in the mix. They they really helped out as well. But unfortunately, we had uh, COVID-19 and they were home. We were lucky that we were able to be in our studios at uh, Hazelight. But... uh, it's like uh, as you say like you as a gamer and when you play a game you hear it with different ears you think different things are are important and that like when you mix a film you will of course you will see it with different eyes and also listen to it with different ears but it's still like one linear thing but a game can be perceived in so many different ways and people can think that one thing is more interesting than another and uh, you can play the same sequence like 10,000 times and it will always at least be slightly different so Mm. I think it's really crucial to to invite everyone in the mix process because you just get like more kind of facts that like okay this happens a little bit too early or this happened for me or you know I think that this is cool and I think that that is cool of course in the end you have to boil it down to like one decision you can't do like 10,000 mixes of, of the game. But I think it's really valuable with uh, everyone's ideas and, and uh, sort of feelings. Um, and something that I would like to do more in the future, we were just like not uh, able to do it this time. Also due to time reasons, it was like we needed to fix bugs at the same time as mixing. And then it was just like, okay, you know, me and Anne-Sophie just had to sit and mix a lot. How long did their mix take you in the end? So I would say that we started basically mixing the first day we started the project. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> uh, getting in there early. <laughs> yeah, that's also something that I really strongly believe is like you have to mix all the time. Like otherwise, uh, we wouldn't have been able to get feedback from Joseph. We wouldn't have been able to like really know if the music was correct or if the foley was too loud or you know all of these things. Uh, and also to just like add new things in there into the mix. I feel like you need to mix what is actually there uh, as good as it can be all the time. Then in the end, it was like, I felt like we had a very, very good base. And then it was more like making it more impactful in in one way, like a little bit more linear mixing. Like, okay, you know, at this checkpoint, let's bring this down a little bit at that checkpoint let's bring this up a little bit uh, so yeah I would say like uh, we mixed for two years <laughs> but uh, as one long mix yeah but I think like the the final mix we had like about a month 
something like that. It yeah. was pretty much the time it took for us to play the game, like in every possible combination. So like yeah. <laughs> uh, us sitting in the same room, us playing over network in different rooms, us playing in headphones, us, us playing in stereo, us playing in 5.1, you know, all those combinations in like the full game as well. So yeah. uh, I guess uh, you need a couple of weeks to do that. Yeah, I, I remember in, in the planning, there was it was something like that. And um, whilst uh, mixing, we were, of course, also finding issues with things we were like uh, really on the you know the last day when we were done but uh, but it turned out well and I think that we were like lucky that we got as much as as we did uh, time to mix it and uh, that we were also smart to try to like you know always try to mix uh, after each sprint or after each bigger section and and uh, after like each new iteration on a system or whatever it could have been that actually impacted the sound in in uh, some way we mixed i remember though one thing oh it was so crazy uh, <laughs> i made some uh, mistake with like some side chaining so instead of side chaining like lowering volumes of certain elements when the dialogue was playing when there was signal on that bus I did it the opposite way so it was like <laughs> it lowered when they were silent and we mixed like you know it took like a week say, and, and did some sort of like pre-mixing pass like quite early just to like get to that stage where like oh you know things are working and then I realized like oh no I have done this mistake everything oh, will be no. affected by this you have to change everything <laughs> yeah it wasn't <laughs> as big of a deal as I uh, you know initially thought but like oh it, I felt so stupid and uh, it was just this silly little <laughs> mistake like one RTPC that was basically like turned the other way around yeah so uh, yeah but uh, I felt like I fixed it in an afternoon or something like that it wasn't that big of a deal but it it felt hard when I found it <laughs> i can imagine that first initial moment as well when you're like oh no yeah <laughs> like joachim is there anything we can script to fix this or like automatically <laughs> change this <laughs> oh no it wasn't that easy but <laughs> and my my final question to you both um is if you could go back in time to the beginning of the project what advice would you give to yourself don't be so stressed and nervous about everything. <laughs> Just, you know, roll with it. It will go fine. Like, you don't have to be nervous all the time. It's a really good question. Um, it's not really something that uh, I didn't do, but I would definitely tell myself and the other members of the team, just trust each other. We did. We definitely yeah. did from the start, I would say. But it's something that I think has been like really key, really essential. And if I have to, you know, give that advice to any other team out there as well, it's just like trust each other, like, and rely on each other's uh, skill set and build something together. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I think that's a fantastic note to leave it on. And I'm very sad to be saying goodbye, but it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And I hope you've had as much fun as I have. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I want to thank Anne-Sophie Monjol and Philip Erickson one more time. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Thanks for joining me today, both. Thank you so thank much. Oh, this is surreal. Surreal, but fun. Hey everyone, this is Sam. Thanks very much for listening to the Sound Architect podcast today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, there are many ways you can support the show, which is incredibly appreciated. Obviously, there's the financial way where you can support us on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash sounddesignuk. 
However, there are many other ways which also help, such as liking, subscribing, reviewing, commenting, and sharing via whatever channel you listen on. Thanks so much for your support already. It really is a work of passion for me, and I'd love to keep sharing the knowledge from all these talented and wonderful people. Thanks again, and catch you on the next episode.